welcome everyone. I'm Denise Field, an attorney in Buckhalter San Francisco office. And I'm here today with my colleague, Melissa Richards. Melissa is an attorney whose practice includes regulatory compliance and licensing and enterprise risk management. Melissa also supports mortgage lenders in litigation and bankruptcy. Today, Melissa will provide us with an update of what to expect in 2021 from the California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation that will impact commercial and consumer financial services industries. Welcome, Melissa. Let me ask you right off the bat, what is enterprise risk management? <laughs> Thank you, Denise. So enterprise risk management is a term used for the, the life cycle of a financial services company. I advise startups on how to build infrastructure, policies and procedures, compliance management solutions, internal audit, manage the, their commercial contracts, their employment agreements, you name it. Vendors, the next level up is vendors, hiring vendors. Uh, in, in financial services world, you, you have to exercise third-party oversight and due diligence over your vendors. I advise companies in setting up those programs and monitoring. And the, on, a, on a mature company, those companies, uh, enterprise risk management deals more with getting uh, uh, commercial lines of credit, commercial loans, outreach to capital investors, um, and capital markets communities uh, for um, uh, originating and selling off uh, their loan products and eventually securitization work. I've handled all of those uh, issues for the life cycle. And then on the tail end is uh, loan servicing or loan administration. I advise uh, companies on proper servicing of their commercial and consumer loans and best practices for addressing consumer complaints, concerns, questions, you name it, to minimize any risk of litigation or agency uh, complaint or investigation Re regarding you know conduct of business. Thank you. So let's get to the the heart of what we're going to discuss today. Um, the three rulemaking developments um, that will impact commercial and consumer financial services in 2021. Right. So what we're talking about today are rulemakings coming from the California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation, which is a rename for uh, the agency we known as the California Department of Business Oversight. A little background on this agency. It is the main agency for regulating depository institutions in the state of California, as well as licensing residential mortgage lenders and um, and uh, consumer and commercial lenders under the California financing law. The developments today are mainly focused on uh, the California financing law licensees and, uh, and the introduction of a new license authority. Uh, so jumping right in on the first 
development. And uh, this is the transition of CFL licensees and new CFL license applicants to the net, uh, National Mortgage Licensing System and Registry, which is an online national uh, portal. Residential mortgage licensees already manage their licensing on that portal. And what is the, the name of the online licensing portal that you're referring to? Yes. So in short, we call it the NMLS. Um, and it's, it stands for the Nationwide Mortgage Licensing System. And it, this is a, an online portal that's administered by the Conference of State Bank Supervisors. And it's used by all state regulators here in the U.S. for banking, mortgage, commercial, and consumer finance licensing administration and registry. Its website can be found at nationwidemortgagelicensingsystem.org. Great. So in continuing the alphabet soup here, um, what, what's a CFL license and who has to have a CFL license? Yeah, so the CFL is short for the California Financing Law found at uh, Financial Code Sections 22,000 at SEC. Um, this license is required for any company or sole proprietorship that is engaged in the business of making or brokering consumer or commercial loans, as well as PACE loan administrators. A CFL broker is authorized to act as a broker in connection with loans that are made only by a CFL licensed lender. So brokers who are um, brokering to banks uh, or uh, like Residential Mortgage Lending Act licensees, they would not trigger a licensing requirement under the CFL. And the licensing authority for CFL, if I'm being redundant, is a lender, broker, or both. Going back to NMLS tra transition, this, uh, starting on the effective NMLS trans transition date of um, they're targeting July 1, 2021 to start this transition. Um, and continuing through December 31, 2021, the DFPI is, uh, will be requiring current CFL licensees to establish a company NMLS online account and secure their unique identifier number. That identifier number will need to appear in all um, written copy that goes out to the general public as well as on loan documentation itself. Once an NMLS account is established, the CFL licensees must file a company, what's called an MU1 application, accompanied by what's called MU2 applications for each individual control person. Um, and the definition of control person for NMLS purposes will follow closely what, um, what the licensees have um, become accustomed to from the, the hard copy version of the CFL license application and reports. So for CFL uh, commercial lenders that make loans for of more than half a million dollars 
in 2021. Are there any new developments uh, that the commercial lenders should be aware of? Indeed, there is. Um, the DFPI has just completed its fourth round of proposed rulemaking on a new early commercial loan disclosure requirement. Um, these rules will implement uh, California law that was passed back in 2018. So the DFPI has taken two years now to develop and design what early commercial loan disclosures should look like and, uh, and the content of those disclosures. So these, some of the uh, loan disclosure requirements seem um, very similar to truth and lending Reg Z disclosures that are given in consumer loan transactions. Is that the case? Yeah, it's interesting uh, that it, it is. And, and the fact that the, the requirement is that these early disclosures be given within three business days of taking in a commercial loan application is a timing requirement consistent with Truth in Lending Act and Reg Z. So the, the disclosure terms that California is adopting for this new form of disclosure <clears throat> includes real similar Reg Z terms. Total amount of funds provided, estimated annual percentage rate, and, and the, the rules adopt the same definition of annual percentage rate or APR as Reg Z. Uh, finance charge, another Reg Z term. And the rules want both uh, financial charges disclosed in both aggregate as well as itemized. Payments, the, the rules want payments to be disclosed by method, frequency, and terms. Estimated term of the proposed transaction. And finally, loan prepayment terms. Now the form of the commercial loan disclosures vary under these rules, um, depending on the type of the commercial transaction itself. So the rules are divided into different categories, factoring agreements, open and closed-end commercial loans, open-end credit plans, sales-based financing, lease financing, and asset-based financing. Uh, the DFPI is targeting uh, January 1st, 2021 as uh, the date that they'll be ready to publish final rules. Um, and uh, they've not given indication as to how much runway CFL licensees are going to get to develop uh, their, their final uh, disclosure forms. Um, I seriously doubt that the, um, the implementation date for the rules is going to be the same as the, the publication date. So stay tuned on that. And where would our clients find these new rules? You can find these new rules on the DFPI website, which is www.dfpi.ca.gov and hit the um, publications uh, tab.
on on the on the web page or easier is to uh, go to uh, my published alert on this subject and you'll find that on the Buckhalter website as well as on my personal profile page or LinkedIn account. Um, and it's there's a link. Great. Let's let's switch uh, gears a little bit to uh, consumer debt collectors. Can you tell our listeners uh, what are some new developments that they are going to want to be aware of uh, for the new year and for 2022? Yes. So the third and final development uh, for DFPI rulemaking I want to discuss is the new California licensing for consumer debt collectors starting January 1, 2022. For our listeners who may not be familiar with this, California has for years imposed fair debt collection standards on persons engaged in collecting consumer debt here in California, whether for their own account or for the account of others, as well as on debt buyers, uh, folks who are buying charged off debt. The law is called the Rosenthal Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. In 2020, California enacted SB 908, the Debt Collection Licensing Act. And this new law requires consumer debt collectors and debt buyers that are not statutorily excluded to become licensed by the DFPI again through the NMLS online portal and made subject to reporting, examination, and other oversight by the DFPI. The DFPI is charged with publishing its implementing regulations starting January 1st, 2021. So if any of our listeners uh, want to get into the debt collection business, and they have to be licensed starting January 1, 2022. Um, how long uh, should they expect the process to take uh, once they start the application process? Well, that's a good question, and we we will know more about timing and expectation once we see uh, proposed rules from the DFPI uh, starting in uh, any time after January 1st. But here's what we know so far from the reading of SB 908. Applications have to be submitted through that NMLS online portal. It's a company level application again and a control person's uh, application. The control persons have to submit to credit reporting, background checks, and fingerprinting. The time it takes to prepare those MU2 applications is all dependent on how quickly the, the individuals can, um, can act, be activated. The company level application 
is um, more controllable. Uh, it's going to ask for company information, for financials, for a business plan. Um, it's we don't know, but they're probably going to ask for a surety bond, and a surety bond has to be secured through an insurance company. So there's fees involved. There's some can be some negotiation with the insurance company on the terms of, of pulling that surety bond. That's a time factor as well. Um, so I would say that it's the unknown is how much time it takes for our clients to gather and submit that license application through NMLS. Then based on my years of experience in processing client applications with the DFPI on the NMLS portal, I can tell you that it takes on average six months from start to finish for that agency to process applications. But I have seen the agency move faster than that, as, as little as four months and longer, you know, as long as a year. It, and it all depends on how truly complete the application is at every round of inquiry uh, by the DFPI. So it's and what I can advise our listeners is you want to work with me. I have so much experience. I've filed so many online applications with the DFPI. I can tell you what they're looking for, what their concerns will be, and I can help you expedite that application uh, from submission to completion. So it sounds like anyone that may be subject to this requirement is going to want to start soon getting their paperwork together to make their application. So that leads me to the next question. Who if has to be interject on that? You're absolutely correct. And the way to start is to open the, the company's online NMLS account. And from there, pull the worksheets. You will, they're readily available on the NMLS website. You can see exactly the company and individual level information that these applications are asking for and start, start to build, compile your responses early on. You do not have to wait for final rulemaking to ready yourselves for application submission come January 1st, 2022. So Melissa, how is it determined who is subject to these licensing rules starting January, 20, January 1st, 2020, and who is exempt from these rules? So let's talk about licensable activity. What triggers a license? for consumer debt collection in California. It's, it's twofold. Licensing is going to be required when de debt collection business is conducted nationwide from a principal business or headquarters location here in California. And the other prong is 
if your company is principally located outside of California, but your business involves attempting to collect a consumer debt from a California resident, then you're triggering this licensing requirement. Now for who is exempt from licensing, SB 908 is exempting any form of federally insured depository institution, other uh, licensees under the DFPI, like CFLs and Residential Mortgage Lending Act licensees, California real estate brokers licensed through the Department of Real Estate, foreclosure trustees, student loan servicers, as well as persons subject to the Carnet Rental Purchase Act. Aside from the licensing component of SB 908, I also want to inform our listeners that the, the new law uh, gives the DFPI administrative enforcement authority over the whole Rosenthal Fair Debt Collection Practices Act and any kind of consumer debt collector covered under that act, whether they're licensed under this new regime or whether they're in a, one of the exempt categories of, of businesses. It's part of the reconstitution of the DFPI with their expanded enforcement authority um, and uh, not only under Rosenthal Act, but just in general, uh, they, this agency is being given very broad authority to enforce unfair, dissect, deceptive acts and abusive practices uh, that, that they, um, they find is being committed within the state of California by you know, a licensed entity, a depository institution, or, you know, someone who's not licensed, but in, it, in an emerging uh, market sector. Well, thank you. Uh, and you've given our listeners who may be affected by all these new developments a really good head start on what actions they should think about taking in this calendar year and certainly uh, early next year. Uh, if listeners want to reach out to you, Melissa, I know you've written some client alerts on each of the three topics we've discussed. How should they contact you? Yes, you can contact me in a variety of ways. The, the easiest and most direct way is my email, which is mrichards at buckhalter.com. You can also look me up on LinkedIn. Um, Melissa Richards is my um, LinkedIn account name. And I have a personal profile page on the Buckhalter website that has all my contact information, my bio, as well as published articles, webinars, presentations that um, give you free access to um, all, all my recent contact. I encourage you to, to look there. Thank you, Melissa. 
On behalf of all of us at the Business Law Roundtable, we wish you all a very happy and healthy holiday season. And until we meet again in January 2021, take care.